The Tom Sumner Program. Old fashioned radio for a new generation. Oh, it's always a pleasure to be with you, Tom. You know that. Yay, Tom! I love it in Flint! You're very astute, Tom. Not an easy question. I'll debate Andy Dillon on your show. Well, uh, that's a very good question. Uh, Hello, darling. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, with Tom Sumner. I'm all right, Tom. How are you? Lucky team, Mr. Sumner. Ciao, Tom. How are you today? That's a good question. <laughs> Hi, this is actor comedian Jonah Pody, and you're listening to the Tom Snyder, uh, Tom Smothers. Uh, I mean, I'm sorry. What's his name? Uh, Sumner. The Tom Sumner Program. Good morning, Tom. How are you doing? Hey, at least I got the Tom part right. The Tom Sumner Program, old-fashioned radio for a new generation. Our fellow Americans. Right now, the COVID-19 vaccines are available to millions of Americans. And soon, they will be available to everyone. The science is clear. These vaccines will protect you and those you love from this dangerous and deadly disease. They could save your life. So we urge you to get vaccinated when it's available to you. That's the first step to ending the pandemic and moving our country forward. It's up to you. MTA Flint is nationally recognized for continually seeking to provide sustainable, reliable, and cost-efficient transportation for individuals throughout the region. Through work-related and non-emergency medical transportation and your ride services, MTA is moving people with future and alternative fuel technologies. More information about MTA Flint and specialized services is available at mtaflint.org. It's time now for Armchair Politics. Join host Tom Sumner for this weekly reality check on current events in local, state and national politics and the real issues that really matter. You too can be part of Armchair Politics. Find us on Facebook. We let the dogs off their leash. Stay tuned, because it's on now. Hey, good morning, everybody. Welcome to this week's edition of Armchair Politics, our weekly roundtable on the Tom Sumner program. Joining me for uh, today's edition of Armchair Politics, our panel of political pundits includes our uh, one of our roundtable regulars on the left, Flint's premier political pundit, Paul Rosicki. Good morning, Paul. Good morning. Good to be here. And on the right, we uh, I would usually be introducing longtime Genesee County Republican Henry Hatter, but he's off today. In for Henry is uh, the 2020 Republican congressional uh, candidate Earl Lackey, who's been here before. Good morning, Earl. Good morning, Tom. And Good morning, last- Earl. And last, last but not <laughs> least, I want to make sure I get in our Politico Emeritus who joins us from time to time, Woodrow Stanley. Good morning, Wood. Good morning, Paul, and uh, good morning, Earl. And good morning, Tom. Wood. 
Good morning, Wood. Well, we we uh, always start, as uh, all of you know, with uh, some quotes, and this one seems kind of timely. The the finish the quote. This is where I ask you, how would you finish this quote? And it goes like this: The only difference between death and taxes is that what? How would you finish this quote? Hmm. Death only happens once. <laughs> <laughs> Wow. Well, you'll love the original quote. The only difference between death and taxes is that death doesn't get worse every time Congress meets. Have <laughs> 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 to agree with it. And as as you might expect, that one comes from Will Rogers. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> mm. Mm. Anyway, uh, I've got a couple of quotes here that caught my attention during the week. If, uh, if you're going to spend, say, $600 billion over several years on an infrastructure program that's much bigger than we've had before, absolutely, we have to be grown-ups and say it has to be paid for, so we're not going to be able to come up with that money out of thin air. <laughs> Uh, I I don't know if you would guess this one. Yeah. Um, it's uh, Mississippi Senator Roger Wicker, a Republican senator oh. who was one of several lawmakers who took part in President Joe Biden's bipartisan infrastructure meeting on Monday. And he said he is not ruling out some kind of tax increase to pay for an infrastructure bill. And and we talked about this, I think, last week. I ask again, can the infrastructure package and funding make it through Congress before the next election cycle? Well, I, I would think if it's going to make it at all, it's got to do it before the next election cycle, and I think that's why the pressure is there. But I think the real key is going to be whether where Joe Manchin goes in the Senate, uh, particularly. Um, and, and even then, it, it's, it could be... It's going to be a dicey sell, Earl. What are what are your thoughts? Do you think the Republicans um, will pass uh, some sort of tax increase before the next election? The way, uh, from what I've seen, the way it stands right now, I would say no. Um, there's they're going to do a lot of battling back and forth. You know, take this out, put this in, as they usually do. Um, will it make it before the next general election? That remains to be seen because the way that they are dragging their feet on a lot of things, um, you know, the stimulus packages, they had to battle back and forth before they finally agreed on it. Well, the president uh, is pretty confident that he can get some form of an infrastructure or jobs bill. It gets called different things depending on... Uh, <laughs> on, yeah. on who's uh, totally. doing the talking. Um, he's pretty uh, confident he, that he can get that through perhaps as early as this summer. But then the funding well, part, I think, is going to get hung up. Well, go ahead. Let Wood jump in here, Wood. What, yeah, what go ahead, Wood. What do you think? I, I was just going to say that, you know, the polling suggests that um, infrastructure um plays exceptionally well across party lines and so you know um the the uh, republican members can can you know uh drag their feet and do whatever whatever they want but i i, I just think that this is one that um it's not like 
just uh, calling the Democrats socialists or whatever the case may be and expect that you can hide behind that. I, you know, this, this, uh, this package plays well, exceptionally well. Yeah, I think I think if there was a what you might call a traditional infrastructure bill, <clears throat> by the older definition, that's going to have a much better chance than some of the other things that have been added to this one. Do we ever have and, and bills again, like that it anymore, like, it looks Paul? Looks like Biden's willing to negotiate. I'm sorry. Do we ever have bills like that anymore, Paul? <laughs> probably not. <laughs> that's probably true. <laughs> One of the biggest problems I see with the bill as it stands right now, the infrastructure bill, is as far as infrastructure uh, itself, um, we're only seeing about 5% of this bill actually going to infrastructure. Just well, like, uh, like the other things, there's so much other money going to other things rather than infrastructure. If we would stick to just one subject, and work on that, we could get a lot more done. Five percent—that's not enough. That seems, we, you know, and that's where the Republicans are going to balk. As if you want more money for infrastructure, you've got to make it a lot bigger than just five percent. Well, Earl, I, I've I've heard that argument before, and five percent sounds a, a little bit low. But the question becomes: What do you consider infrastructure? I mean, roads and bridges, boom. They're you know they're number one on the on the chart. But okay. when you start talking about um, uh, broadband access for communities, um, underground pipes, uh, some of these other things, um, if we start calling some of these other things infrastructure, then there's more infrastructure in the bill than some people are crediting it for. And maybe that's well, why too, I don't call it jobs bill. Well, and, <laughs> you know, that's that's another one that, that eludes me. <laughs> I, I really yeah. have a rough time seeing jobs in that bill, um, at least not directly, perhaps indirectly, and I'm sure that's that's what is being meant when that's said. Well, if we, if we could get the money to actually go to infrastructure, then, yeah, it is it is kind of a jobs bill because like some of the things that you were talking about, Thomas, is the like the uh, water lines. I mean, Flint is a great example. They put all these water lines in from the road to the house to replace all the lead lines. But if you look at some of the pipelines, and I put pictures out there of some of these, these water lines, these six-inch mains that are supposed to be supplying the water to the, the homes, there's less than two inches of actual um, space inside these six-inch lines that water can actually go through because of all the corrosion and everything that's built up on them. I believe the water lines underneath are part of the infrastructure, and... Our whole state is like that. There are actually some of these older towns that still have the tamarack tree water lines. Their water lines are still <laughs> yeah. wood. It's amazing. Mm -hmm. there, there are some of those in Flint and Detroit, I understand. Mostly yeah. mostly yeah. in the sewer lines, not so much in the water lines anymore. Yep. Well, let's, um, when I was a firefighter in Oxford, we actually had a water line collapse because the pump on the truck was was drawing so much water, and when they finally dug it up to find out why the line collapsed, it was a tamarack tree water line. It was, you know, 
um, that was supplying water to part of Oxford. So um, it's our like infrastructure. That, it's like old. that last drink of water out of a plastic water bottle. You know, when, <laughs> yeah. the, when the, the, the bottle starts yeah. collapsing on you. Let me let me move on to one more if we can squeeze it in before the break. With an agenda this unpopular, it is no wonder that Joe Biden is the first new president in modern times not to address a joint session of Congress within his first few weeks. Who do you think said that? Mm. Oh, boy. That was former President Donald Trump. He repeated the familiar lines about the 2020 election and insulted Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell Saturday when speaking to Republican National Committee donors gathered for the first time since Trump's defeat, a person in the room told CNN. Uh, Donors assembled just down the road from his Mar-a-Lago home, a sign that the institutions of the party remain centered around the former president as it looks to regain power in 2022. Is the former president likely to rally the GOP or ruin it? Well, I was, was going to say he's going to divide it. I, I, I'm still looking for. I suspect we're going to see a third party. That's still my guess for 24. But I'll, we'll see how it plays out. Uh, whether the well, third party is traditional Republicans or a Trump party, I don't know. My my my, my point uh, to tag on to uh, your comment, Paul, and you guys have heard me say it before: is no longer the Republican Party; it's the Republican cult. Uh, you know, Trump calls the shot. This is not a not a party, Earl. What are what are your thoughts on that? Now that there's been a little time since uh, Trump left the White House, well, I wouldn't go as far as to call it a, a, the whole GOP a cult, but I will say there are problems within the GOP. Yes, um, you've got people that are power hungry, money hungry, but we've got that in in both parties. Um, the, G- the GOP, uh, as far as um, bringing them together or tearing them apart, if Trump runs, it's going to bring people together. But I think it's going to be people outside of the basic GOP that are going to need to bring Or the traditional GOP, together. let's say. You know, um, the GOP is not what it used to be. There's, we've got too many rhinos within the GOP itself. Um, I could see something like the uh, Republican Patriot Party. You know, keeping the good parts of the of the GOP, but moving on to yeah, I agree with Wood almost to a third party or um, so to speak. Um, so, Earl, does that, does that encompass broadening the party, broadening the 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 the, the membership, so it, it reflects and looks more like uh, not just America today, but America twenty years from today? Is that is that is that? I do you, do when, you believe that that would? Because I'm, you know, hey, look. Would I, would I got to cut you off I'd there? I'd love to see a Republican Party that was more competitive across the board. Would? Not just with 
white America. I, I got to cut you off there, Wood, and and I want to get back to this uh, on the other side of the break. But we are going to take a short break. More armchair politics after we let our broadcast partners squeeze in a few words or do whatever they do when we go to break. We'll be right back. Everybody's doing a brand new dance now. Hi, this is Mark Farner, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. I'm Julie Lopez with Crime Stoppers. Have you ever wondered what to do if you have information about a crime or the whereabouts of a felony fugitive and you want the police to know but you need to remain anonymous? Well, here's what you can do. You can go to p3tips.com or download the mobile app. You can go to Crime Stoppers of Flint and Genesee County's Facebook page and click on the Leave an Anonymous Tip tab, or you can call 1-800-422-JAIL. All methods are anonymous, and if your help leads to a felony arrest, you may be eligible for a cash reward. Remember, your voice matters. The Tom Sumner Program plays host to the best political roundtable on radio every Wednesday from 10 a.m. to noon. Armchair Politics features great commentary and analysis about the headlines from local, state, and national politics with an alumni of world-class pundits, plus quotes, tweets, and those weird and wacky stories we call the X-Files. If it's Wednesday, catch Armchair Politics on the Tom Sumner Program. Hello. Speaking. Oh, dear. Honey, our car warranty is expiring again. So soon? Mm. It just expired last week. You don't even own a car! Not now, Dana. Your father's on the phone. Hey! Mom and Dad, you're being scammed! It's a robocall! Scammers are using new technology and clever tactics to make more and more calls that look legitimate but are hard to trace. They can make it look like they're calling from any number, even from numbers of people you know. My robocall crackdown team is working with state and federal partners to stop the robocalls for good, but I need your guys' help. Don't trust your caller East ID. Village Magazine is the monthly neighborhood magazine read all over Flint. With support from grants, donations, and advertisers, East Village Magazine's talented local writers give you an in-depth look at local news, issues, and people that make Flint, Flint. Copies of East Village Magazine are available at many of your favorite shops and restaurants around Flint or online at eastvillagemagazine.org. East Village Magazine, community-focused and community-supported. Technical assistance for the Tom Sumner Program is provided by Swiftlet Technology, engineering and IT services at swiftlet.technology. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. Tom Sumner Program.com The Tom Sumner Program.com The Tom Sumner Program.com Tom 
Technical assistance for the Tom Sumner program is provided by Swiftlet Technology, engineering and IT services at swiftlet.technology. I know of a place where you never get harmed, a magical place with magical charms, indoors, indoors, indoors. Take it away. Hey, welcome back, everybody. We continue now with Armchair Politics after an adventure in uh, automation there during the break, but uh, but we press on. Um, where we left <laughs> off during the break, we've got uh, uh, Earl Lackey is sitting in for Henry Hatter, tending to the right, and uh, we have Paul Rosicki on the left joining our roundtable, of course, Woodrow Stanley. And... Uh, we were just uh, we were just talking uh, before the break about um, the the future of the uh, GOP, and I think Wood, you were in the middle of saying something, and I had to cut you off. Usually, I do that to Henry. <laughs> I, well, <laughs> I just wanted to to make the point that I think that our country is is best served with two competitive parties: a competitive Dem- Democratic Party and a competitive uh, Republican Party. And and what I was gonna, trying to ask Earl was that, you know, as he was talking about a configuration of the Republican Party, my question was, does that include uh, a robust outreach to uh, people of color and uh, others? Uh, you, you know, as, as America trends toward a more diverse um, population. Oh, God, I would hope so. Okay. I mean, that, that, would, be my, that would be my hope. Going into uh, like going into a race, say I jump into the race here for governor, which I've had people ask me to do. Um, we need the diversification all across the board. So if the GOP doesn't want to do that, um, there's something wrong. I was going to say, wasn't that the advice the GOP got after the uh, the Romney loss? In uh, for, the, for the presidential race, is the, there was an attempt to, to diversify, they, a recommendation to, to diversify, but then Trump came along and it seemed to go the exactly the opposite direction. I disagree there. I I really disagree because if you look back There's over a Trump's career, he's been very diversified into as to the the people and the cultures and the races that he has employed himself and has embraced. Yeah, but as as a party builder, though, I, you know, I, I I have to ask: Did he um, he may have brought new people into the Republican Party, but were they diverse? Go ahead, Wood. I'm sorry, I cut you off. No, no, I, I was just going to say that 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 Earl, I you know, the first part of your comment in terms of what you were about yourself, in terms of what you believe, and, 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 and you know, in terms of the party building itself as a more diverse uh, vehicle. I, I, I certainly uh, like that. But what you said about, about Trump, I, I, yeah, I'm telling you, Earl, there's, in, in, uh, I was in public office for almost 30 years and involved in politics uh, for over 40 years. Um, and, and I can tell you that there's no one 
you know, and I would have to maybe go back to, and I, I'd put this guy on the fringe, and I certainly don't believe Trump is necessarily on the fringe, but, but in terms of building uh, a kind of narrative around people trying to work together and so forth across party lines, I can tell you, Donald Trump is not going to go down in history as a president or as a Republican leader uh, in the vein of someone like Jack Kemp that did reach across. I mean, this is a guy, man, I'm telling you, uh, that's a narrative across the country. And this is not just from black folks. This is from white folks as, as well. That This is a guy that has fed that whole narrative, black against white, Jack, more than anyone else. We saw that blow up on January 6th. Jack Kemp would? That was kind of an obscure reference these days. I haven't heard Jack just, Kemp's he, name he, in a long time. I've mentioned him as someone that, that I always respected as genuinely trying to reach out across party lines. I, you know, yeah, he had the ability. To, he, he did that with, with you know, with, with some frequency. He had the ability to pull that off. You know, what strikes me, are we seeing a realignment of both parties? I mean, I, I'm seeing more and more the divisions going along almost geographical lines of urban versus rural. I mean, yeah. the rural areas are getting very Republican and very Trumpy, and the urban areas much more Democratic. Uh, and that includes even some some traditional Republican supporters, like some, you know, corporate uh, Fortune 500 CEOs in the urban areas. Well, that's what flipped Georgia. The Republican Party. That's what flipped Georgia. Yeah, yeah. And that's well, not just the traditional urban area. So urban now just doesn't mean core city. Urban means that larger metropolitan area. Uh, which doesn't yeah. just look like the core uh, city, but the politics uh, are a lot more moderate, um, center, uh, center left, if you will. Well, we're going to get back to some of this a little bit later uh, in the in the program this morning. I want to move to some uh, some local issues right now. The city's water service line replacements remain on hold after the city council recessed its meeting Monday without a vote to extend the contract of Row Professional Services which manages the program. Council had been scheduled to reconsider a $500,000 change order in the city's contract with Roe Monday, but members never took action on the request from Mayor Sheldon Neely and recessed the meeting until 6 p.m. tonight. Flint was uh, nearing an end to the service line excavation and replacement program last year, having dug up water lines at, um, well, nearly 27,000 properties and replacing nearly 10,000 pipes found to be made of lead or galvanized steel materials that were damaged by corrosive Flint River water used by the city in parts of 2014 and 15. City officials have said there are approximately 500 lines to excavate before the program can be completed. Why isn't this finished by now? Good question. <laughs> I just shake my head. I mean, we're almost there. <laughs> uh, as we talked before, even for at a thousand dollars per property, that doesn't doesn't strike me as outrageous. I mean, I don't know what what the overall costs have been so far, but it doesn't strike me as outrageous. And I, and unless it's just some frustration with Roe because of the uh, uh, the water lawsuits, I, I really don't know what was what's motivating the city council. I, I don't I don't know either, but I could just say as a general uh, observation that any time that you start to dig underground, 
uh, I, I, you know, that the person who calls themselves uh, an expert and you're digging underground, uh, all of that is not ex. I mean, you know, there's a level of expertise there. But then there's there, there, a guy told me years ago when I was on the city council, he said, when you started to dig, and this was, a, this was an engineer, that there are things that you thought were there. And remember, uh, this was in the 80s. So we have a lot more technology uh, uh, in play now than then. But still, even with that technology, there's just stuff that, that is unknown. And it slows stuff down. And you know the other thing it does besides slows it down? It jacks up the cost. Hmm. Yeah, well, the, uh, we all know every time uh, there's a delay, like going from last year to this year, prices are going to increase. So it's going to get more and more costly as we go on. One of the problems that I have that I see going on um, is they're going to go through and replace the water lines. Now, they've gone through and... and for people's yards and replaced all those water lines out to the street. Now they're talking about, yeah, they've replaced some of them. They want to go through and replace some more. But you got to think, when all of this stuff was initially put in years and years ago, we've got a lot of stuff, like you just said, underground that we don't know about. What about the, water, the uh, sewer and drainage down there? I mean, last year there was a, a picture out there on the Internet of... Uh, people that went to the store and they came back driving down their own street and their SUV went into a sinkhole. The, uh, the, the sewer and drainage um, lines are just as old as the water lines. So now we go through, we tear it up, we replace the water lines, and then they have a sinkhole. Well, now we have to go through and tear it back up again, doubling the cost, and then we have to replace the sewer and drainage lines because they're crumbling out from underneath our feet. This is one of the things I would like to see done at the governor's level. There needs to be a plan in big cities, and I'll use Flint as an example, where there needs to be a plan. Let's not go through and replace one thing at a time. If we're going to do it, let's do it right the first time and get it over with. Let's dig it all up, replace it all, because the infrastructure within our state has been ignored by our local politicians the ones that have been in office for years and years are, have not done anything, and it's gotten to the point where it's getting dangerous. People driving into sinkholes. So all of this stuff. Since 1978, we haven't allowed lead in our paint to paint houses. So I, I got, why is this happening? It's just going on and on. Let's stop, let's stop the beating of all of the money that's going into the infrastructure. Is it going to cost a lot more to replace water, sewer, uh, drainage, any of those old lines that are just basically falling apart, yes. But in the long run, no, because if you replace the water line this year, what's it going to cost to dig up and replace the sewer lines or the drain lines next year or the year after? Hey, Tom, can, can I just say this? Because I, I, uh, I agree with Earl's point. Yeah, just before just before you, you you get into that wood, I I just want to say that I got goosebumps there for a minute when uh, Earl referred to Flint as a big city. It's, it's nice to hear that <laughs> referred to that way again. <laughs> anyway, go ahead. Well, Flint, you know, Flint is a great town. It's a great city. I mean, you look at all the universities you've got. If if we could turn Flint around I mean, we went on the national map when the water crisis happened. 
If I run for governor, I would like to turn Flint around, put us back on the national map as the city to go to when you want to see how to fix your own city. Let's let's That'd make nice, Flint an hey. example as to how do we fix the problem? Go to Flint because they did it and they did it right. Go ahead, Wood. I just wanted to say the the, the, the Earl's point about you know just the the uh, terrible condition that our uh, infrastructure is in in, in in terms of water lines and so forth. And it's not just Flint, believe me. It, 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 and it's not just Michigan. It's a national crisis. And oh, yes. This is where, this is where, but, you know, I'm a realist now. I'm, I'm a realist, but I, but I, this is where it, it would seem to me that there would be common ground between Democrats and Republicans. But what I know, what I know is that when someone, a forward-thinking person, as Earl has articulated, puts forward uh, a, a game plan that includes dealing with the, the uh, infrastructure issues in urban and rural uh, and suburban areas, I know how it breaks down. It breaks down uh, on the lines of urban against suburban. And 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 I can because I've seen it before, and 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 no one wins. So I agree with the point, and it would it would just seem to me that this is such a common sense notion that you've articulated, Earl. But it doesn't work that way, unfortunately. Can we can we how can we get it to that point where someone says, "Hey, look, we're having those same problems here in a suburban community." A lot you have a lot of old suburban. Uh, underground stuff. A lot of it. You know that. <laughs> That's what I love I about this. There's a simple answer to that question. Be nobody has ever been in office that had the guts to stand up and do it. You've got to elect somebody in 2022 uh, in the, for the governor's race that's got the guts to stand up and tell people, this is what we have to do. This is what we're going to do. Let's get it done. Hate to use her words, but okay. Um, nobody's willing to go along with that. They keep looking at the plans of, well, it's going to cost us this much to replace the water lines. And when somebody mentions, well, what about the drain and sewer lines? You know, it's, shh, don't say anything about that because we can't put that kind of money out there yet. We can't afford to not look at it. We have to put it all on the table and get it out there and get it. Get at it. Let me throw this idea out. Is there an argument to be made to consolidate governments when we fractionalize all these local governments into little cities and villages and townships and everything else? Is there an argument to be made to do some, at least some consolidation, at least for some functions on, on, on local governments? Not that I'm aware of. I, no, I, I think... Mean, um, it's <laughs> not, I know it's not happening, but you think it ought to happen. As Wood and Earl were, were talking, I... I I couldn't help remembering that, that quote from uh, Billy Durant when he said, don't worry about the money, just do it. <laughs> and how much trouble have politicians gotten into using that philosophy? <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm still debating on my own run for governor at this point. Um, plans as to where to get the money from without raising taxes. Well, speaking of governor, the current governor, uh, Gretchen Whitmer, is asking schools to consider two-week pauses um, 
Well, as she's asking schools to consider two-week pauses due to uh, Michigan's surge in COVID-19 numbers, the Genesee County mm-hmm. Health Department is still taking its recommendations to local schools on a case-by-case basis, said Kaylee Blaney, Deputy Health Officer. Whitmer asked, but didn't order high schools to go virtual at a news conference Friday morning. The request comes after more than 80 COVID-19 outbreaks were identified across the state's K-12 schools throughout the last week of March. A uh, request by the governor is a lot different than a recommendation by a governor or state health department, Blaney said. We're going to support our schools in whatever way we see fit based on what they need. Multiple schools in the Flint area have uh, recently announced their decision to go virtual indefinitely or for a two-week period. Carmen Ainsworth was the first to announce on April 6th, followed by Flint Community Schools on April 7th, and two more charter schools on April 8th. Have we reached a point in the fight against COVID where we can, where we can selectively move beyond suggested precautions? Hmm. When you look at the Michigan numbers, they're certainly not very encouraging here in this state. This this is, you know, and I know that there are folks who are taking uh, a a ton of shots at um, at Governor Whitmer, uh, but um, to her credit, whether whether folks agree or disagree, she's tried to Stand up and 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 do the right thing. Uh, take some strong positions in in light of the fact that uh, she's being you know cut from from D.C. previously under the former administration to uh, her own uh, of uh, opposition uh, in the in the uh, in the state house. So I, I, I give her credit for uh, for for trying to to uh, handle this thing. Yeah, yeah. Well, let's well, I'll give her, give her credit for um, making the, um, how did she put it, Tom? I forgot the word. Um, recommendation. Recommendation. Suggestions. Suggestions. The suggestion. Okay. I'll give her credit for making the suggestion rather than a mandate because we all know you can catch more flies with honey than you can with lemon juice. Okay, but um, leaving it up to the individual districts, I think, was, was a good thing. Um, you know, good for her to, to make the recommendation. But on the other hand, I want to see more statistics. Okay, she still hasn't given us the science and the data. She's not get, putting that out there. And they're talking, they say, okay, you don't, we're doing more COVID um, more people coming up with COVID, but how many people are oh, actually in, really infected? I, I, yeah. I have to ask because, you know, I think she's been fairly meticulous. She may have been a little bit um, all-powerful, you, you know, in her approach to how she was going to address this, but I do right. think she tried to include the science. I think her... Uh, her um, I think the duo of uh, Governor, um, I almost well, said, I almost said Granholm, but but with uh, with Whitner, uh, Whitmer and um, Janae Caldoon, 
you know, I think um, the fact that she always had her there to speak to the science, I I think was at least a decent attempt to try and show her hand. Um, Well, I, I think what they're doing is they're going along, and this is just an assumption on my part because they're not really saying, but they're going along with what the CDC recommends. And the CDC is following Dr. Fauci. You know, uh, today it might be one mask. Tomorrow it's no mask. The day after that, oh, we need to go back to having masks. By the way, it's two, or is it three? They can't, Fauci can't seem to make up his mind, and neither can the CDC. They keep changing their minds, and they're confusing, I'm sorry, the hell out of the public. Uh, Well, it is is confusing because you've got a lot of people in the public are pushing back against the uh, the recommendations right. now I right. after the show today I'm going to get my second Pfizer vaccine and I'll be wearing a mask and then I'm coming home and I'm staying home till the 4th of July <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> and then I'm and then I'm holding the president to his prediction that we'd be able to gather yeah. in small groups around the 4th right. of July. But uh, but let me let me move on to this because it's uh, it's sort of related. The Genesee County Health Department will pause usage of the Johnson & Johnson COVID-19 vaccine after federal regulators issued a statement recommending to do so out of an abundance of caution. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention in the U.S. Food and Drug Administration issued a statement Tuesday The CDC and FDA are investigating six reported U.S. cases of a rare and severe blood clot in individuals after receiving the vaccine. More than 6.8 million J&J doses have been administered to date, according to the CDC and FDA. All Genesee County residents currently scheduled to receive a Johnson & Johnson vaccine will now receive the Pfizer or Moderna vaccine instead. No uh, vaccination appointments will be canceled, according to Genesee County Deputy Health Officer Kaylee Blaney. Will problems with the J&J vaccine slow down the rollout and race against COVID-19 variants? I think it'll scare people, unfortunately. I mean, I think scientifically they're probably doing the right thing, but it's it's, it's going to scare people, who, who some of them are already scared, unfortunately. Right. And that, you, you're, I think you're absolutely right, Paul, that just from a public relations uh, perspective, uh, this is the last thing that you want, given that, you know, you have a, a very uh you know, strong group in one sense out there that's pushing against this. So when you give them uh, a piece of information like this, it just it's what you're looking for if, if you're of that position. So it's unfortunate, quite frankly. Yeah. But, but and, and I'm not even sure that the... <clears throat> I was going to say, I'm not even sure medically the blood clot issue is, is, at this point at least, directly tied to the vaccine. It may well be. But it could it could be those six people had other causes that were were operating anyhow. So I again I don't know the answer there. But but when See, that story comes out, it's, it's going to be a one line story. It is going to frighten people, unfortunately. Yeah. See, I have to uh, you know, Paul, I I have to agree there. That's part of the problem is we don't know enough about these vaccines and what they cause. Um, this this V factor actually hit close to home here. We were looking it up this morning. Um, I have a friend who is a dental hygienist, and she works for a dentist who is 
telling her she has to get the vaccine. The problem is, is both of her parents had the blood clotting issue within their gene pool, so she needs to get tested to see if she has that V factor within her gene pool. Mm. So she doesn't want to get the vaccine um, until she knows for sure that she's safe to get it and she won't develop blood clots because... We're going to have to. We're going to have to stop. Her job. We're going to have to stop there. Take a short break, and we'll be back with more right after. Hello this. there, citizens. Darkwing Duck here. And every time I'm in Flint fighting crime, I always stop by the Tom Sumner program. Don't forget, stay dangerous. Darkwing Duck out. While we've been staying safe at home, scientists have been on a journey. The destination: a COVID-19 vaccine. This journey began decades ago with research into other coronaviruses. Scientists built from there with months of research and development, cooperation with other experts worldwide, and clinical trials on tens of thousands of volunteers of diverse race, age, and health status. They arrived at a safe, effective vaccine, and hundreds of thousands in Michigan have already been vaccinated. But the next step is ours. We need to get the vaccine when we can, keep wearing masks correctly, and taking precautions until we reach our destination, freedom from COVID-19, and getting back to the lives we love. Discover the facts for yourself at michigan.gov slash COVID vaccine. A message from the Michigan Department of Health and Human Services. The Tom Sumner Program has hosted live candidate forums for local, state, and national offices at bars, restaurants, coffee shops, and colleges. Armchair Politics has gone to Lansing, Frankenmuth, Birch Run, and Hell. Hell, Michigan, that is. We've done shows all the way to the Mighty Mac and back to the bricks. We've done remotes from a baseball stadium in Lansing, a grocery store opening in Flint, and from a moving train. We'd like you to tell us where to go next. You can write to us at TomSumnerProgram.com, call us at 810-339-8255, or contact us on Facebook. This is your chance to tell the Tom Sumner Program where to go. Say, objection. I object. I object to that, Your Honor. Oh, hi, Mom. What's up? Dana, what are you doing? Oh, you know, just um, Attorney General stuff. Listen, I have a legal question. What is it, Mom? I just got a call from the water company. Apparently, your father has not been paying the bill. I guess they're going to turn the water off because we owe more than $1,000 now. Can you believe it? Actually, I can't. So listen, we just have to send them $200 in Edible Arrangements gift cards and that will keep the water on. Now, here's the legal question. What is the website for Edible Arrangements? Mom, it's an imposter scam. Imposter scam. Is that .com or .edu? No, the call was a scam. Scammers will pretend to be a government agency or a utility company or someone else you might do business with. A big red flag is if they tell you 
that you can pay them using gift cards. So when in doubt, ask for the information to be sent to you in writing. And never give a caller or someone you don't know your personal information or your money. If you do suspect an imposter scam, report it to my office at mi.gov slash agcomplaints. Okay, all right. And Dina, where do I file a complaint that my daughter hasn't visited in over a month? Does your office have a website for that? Okay, Mom, I'm hanging up now. I'm Michigan Attorney General Dana Nessel. Visit mi.gov slash agcomplaints for your connection to consumer protection. This is U.S. Senator Gary Peters, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Hey, welcome back, everybody. You're listening to Armchair Politics on the Tom Sumner Program, and we continue with um, Paul Rosicki, and we have uh, Earl Lackey in for Henry Hatter, and joining the roundtable this week is uh, Woodrow Stanley. Michigan's Independent Citizens Redistricting Commission voted down a measure to recite the Pledge of Allegiance at its meetings following a contentious discussion among commissioners Thursday. The motion to begin commission meetings with the pledge was made by Doug Clark, a 74-year-old Republican commissioner from Rochester Hills. He said, I think it's our patriotic duty to say it. I mean, we're part of this nation, and I believe that's the right thing to do. Uh, Brittany Kellum, the 34-year-old Democratic commissioner from Detroit who chairs the commission, disagreed. I don't feel like that's my American duty to say that, she said. I think I can be an American and a great African-American and a great person without saying those words. Is the Pledge of Allegiance an appropriate expression of patriotism? Mm. Yes. Yeah, I suppose it is, but I, I, I'm, I'm also struck by the fact that it seems like more and more we're, we're expecting those things before almost every little meeting or event. I've, I'm struck by how many car shows I go to that start off with the Star Spangled Banner, which is, I guess, nice enough, but I'm not sure what it's got to do with a car show. I, I You know, I've served on a number of boards where seeing the pledge at the beginning of the meeting was uh, a part of the protocol and um, you know, I certainly uh, was a part of com- uh, complying and, and doing so. But in this environment, I, I, I know what generally when folks are saying, well, if, if they don't have a, a protocol that has required saying the pledge now, I know what that is. It, it is. it has gotten to the point that we're going to take your temperature. And if you don't say the pledge or you're not afford mm-hmm. saying the pledge, then you you know you're not American. I disagree with that totally. I, I think that for those organizations that uh, have said the pledge for years and years and years, and I've been a part of it, or they say a prayer, I've been a part of those organizations. Uh, fine, but but I know what what happens now when people are putting that on the table, uh, and it's divisive. Quite frankly, there you know just because the person. Uh, has a problem with saying the pledge doesn't mean that they are against the words that are contained in the pledge. Sure. I'm sure. I, I'm a little frustrated by the fact that and and it plays out in this uh, particular story that came from the Free Press um, that it was a Republican who was uh, for saying the pledge and a Democrat who was against 
uh, making the pledge part of the the routine of of opening a meeting. Um, and well, yeah. it, it seems odd to yeah. me that it's along party lines. And I know this is just an example of one Republican and one Democrat, but it does kind of hint at the way these conversations are playing out in uh, organizations and on boards and committees uh, all over the country. Yeah, we've made so many things partisan. I'm struck by the fact that merely waving the flag has become a partisan thing. If you wave the flag, you're considered Republican. If you don't do it, you're considered a Democrat. I mean, there's a certain illogic to all of that, but it's, it's unfortunate. Well, it, you know, the waving of the flag as yeah, I can see where you know, it's being pointed out as, as waving as Republican and not waving as Democrat. But there again, like our conversation earlier about the GOP, you've got people in both parties on both sides. Some want to wave the flag and some don't. It, it's just an intermix, I think, in both parties. Um, to me, I, would I personally would like to see the, the, the pledge being said. Um, even the, and the national anthem being said, where people stand up, take their hats off, put it over their heart. Um, but the we took the pledge out of the school system um, and and that kind of stuff. And in my opinion, look what's happened to our schools and, and the kids and what they're being taught. I just watched a video um, the other night of a teacher doing it through um, Zoom that... And she was white, but, you know, she said uh, the student was white, and so was the parent. And she told him, that's the problem. You're white. You're privileged. I'm sorry, but I don't think that has anything to do with it. Well, the, what, what troubles me is I've always been very comfortable with the idea that the flag, uh, the pledge, the national anthem, these were symbols of what we aspire to. Yes. But there are a lot of people who feel like they're, they're symbols of support for a system that has failed them. And that can be along racial lines, it can be along economic lines, mm -hmm. um, you know, may even appear to be uh, party lines at times. But it, it that troubles me. It, have we somehow outlived the the idea that that we want to have things that are symbolic of our best intentions no no i don't no, think we, so I, no. yeah what, what it, do you uh, think unfortunately it's become a partisan thing what what, what do you, you know? think about that there are an yeah. awful lot of african americans who feel like they don't want to celebrate the 4th of july because it wasn't their independence day there are African Americans who take a knee during the national anthem uh, to, you know, show um, their discontent with uh, the kind of um, violence that that we've seen against young black men uh, by the police, certainly in the, in the media, as we've just seen again this week. Um, mm -hmm. What what do you think about that? Is is there a is there a need now for new symbols of our best intentions, and what might those be? 
Well, I, you know, I think all of that. Do you know what I mean, Wood? Uh, yeah, 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 I, I, I do. And I think that, that all of it probably should be on the table for uh, grown-up discussion. But, but, but I think the bigger part of it, and this is, you know, your question is, you know, um, have we outgrown the need as a, as a republic? Have we outgrown the need for symbols and so forth? And I'd say, no, we haven't. But we, we also haven't outgrown the need to have public discourse about where we've fallen short. And all of us, I mean, we've fallen short as individuals. We've fallen short as a country. And, 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 and so when, for instance, this whole thing with Colin, Colin Kaepernick and taking a knee. I mean, when mm -hmm. folks read all of the things that were associated there and how, how, how Trump, now remember now, Trump, the biggest voice in the country, took that and weaponized it. But that could have, I mean, it could have been a di totally different conversation that said, hey, look, uh, th that had nothing to do with disrespecting the military. And he said it. This does not, I have family members in the military. I'm not passing any aspersions. So I, I Tom, directly to your point. I, I think that we we should be big enough and uh, mature enough to have grown-up discussions about things. It, what, what happens is when we don't acknowledge um, some of the bad stuff, it comes out. It's like I've used this uh, this example before. It's like the in Poltergeist, the movie. When you build a subdivision on a cemetery. The ghosts and goblins are going to come out. <laughs> They're here. <laughs> and that's what happens here. You know, so but I, I, I do think that, that we, we're, we should be big enough and mature enough as a republic to have symbols, but to have open and honest discussions about yeah. uh, where we've fallen short. You know, what, what well, happened what, with the idea that that they're not, they don't have to be symbols of of pride, um, but they could be symbols of hope. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Sure. Aspirational. Yeah. yeah. Well, I, mean, I like you know, your. I like your. When you, it, but I was just going to say, when you read the Declaration of Independence and and and, and you know the documents that th this uh, nation is founded on, now you can conclude one or two things. There are a lot of lies in here. You can, you can conclude that, and, and you can have ample evidence to support it. Or you could say, hey, look, uh, th th these are aspirational words. We, we know that the men who wrote them, by and large, were, were not living up to what they wrote. Yeah, I, I, that's one of those things. And, and I've seen Barack Obama... Um, attack that that issue very effectively um, when he was campaigning for president and after he became president this idea that it's a work in progress you know when we talk about um, you know words like we hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal there's an awful lot of people in this country are gonna say not in my neighborhood yeah, but but it's but it is a work in progress, and it always has been, and I suspect it always will be. But the idea that, that we hold these truths.
to be self-evident doesn't mean we believe we've attained it. Yeah, we haven't. That you right. know, we have not. and and I th- I think we need more people talking about um, the the aspirational goals of the organizing documents of this country instead of using the Constitution, you know, as as a weapon um, or. <laughs> Um, or like a tax form that you can fill out creatively. We have to take a break for uh, Top of the Hour uh, show ID, but we'll be back with the second half of Armchair Politics in uh, in just a moment. So don't touch that dial, don't click that mouse. There's uh, lots more straight ahead. Hi, I'm Alexander Zanjic. Don't touch that dial. You're listening to Tom Sumner. 